Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Antioch headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Antioch PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 15, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We almost didn't get to do a show today. Yeah, I wonder if we could have uh, applied for FEMA funds if I we had know. a podcast. <laughs> so it's like, uh, so our podcast makes no money, but they don't know that. <laughs> I could say it's our entire revenue, you know, model. And I tell you, it was uh, it was pretty scary. We we were we were almost going to do it really old school today and have you come to my house. Yeah. Yeah, we weren't sure how we were going to do it. We were going to like do have you in one room, me in the other, or just talking to the recorder. It was it was pretty hairy there for a while. The other thing is, people ask me all the time how often we see each other, and I'm like, as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> we would have added another day today, but fortunately the Wi-Fi came on at the Stately Long Manor, so we're all good. <laughs> yeah, um, that's and, and I'll say we're joking around, but man, are we lucky, are we not? Yeah, we are very fortunate. Uh, this could have been so worse. So, so scary coming up. And, and I was telling people that, you know, I've lived in Florida 20 years now, and I've lived through probably five or six hurricanes and another five or six tropical storms and none of them have ever been as bad as we thought they were going to be but this one when it got like saturday when i finally got my head wrapped around it right you know i spent all all week helping people around the city get sandbags filled and then finally saturday i'm like shit i gotta do stuff around my house and yeah. I was on, the, on the roof like you know cleaning the gutters and stuff and that's when i really it really hit me i'm like this is going to be really really bad and then gosh i cannot tell you how lucky it is when i Went to bed on uh, at night and slept through the entire thing and woke up the next morning. I'm like, wow, everything's still here. I tell you, and it was the worst birthday ever. Oh, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, it, was at, it was on my birthday. So nobody could get to come to my house. We didn't get to have any my family over celebration or anything like that. You know, I actually had, had a cold. I've beaten it now. It's gone. But, I mean, I was sick. Had a hurricane. The Giants lost. I mean, it, could, it was just the worst thing ever. I mean, except for I was happy the next day I woke up. My house was still there. But uh, everything, the damage was minimal, and uh, we we had power really quickly, and then people were, like, really resenting it that I had power. I'm like, I'm sorry. My oh. next-door neighbor is a bigwig with Duke Energy, and he turned the power back on. What am I going to tell you? <laughs> but, yeah, we were very fortunate. and uh, But people around the state were affected by Irma pretty seriously, so it's it's no joking matter. Oh, it still are. People down south, uh, still tough. To, uh, you know, we have a, I'm leaving here on a cruise on Sunday, which is just it's so weird to yeah. be leaving – Hurricane ravaged Florida to fly to Hurricane ravaged Texas to get on a cruise and have some fun, but yeah. you know, it is what we got to do. But our travel agent and Royal Caribbean is based in Miami, and uh, it's just been brutal trying to get a hold of them, and they're frustrated as well too. So, but you know, we'll be thankful for for what we got. Yeah. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, Irma is actually a poker item on the show here. I yeah. didn't think it would be, but. Um, 
couple things I thought were interesting. Uh, there were there were a number of um, articles I read about um, how casinos were adjusting to the storm, and I kind of want to have a little conversation about that. About uh, some some stayed open through the whole thing, which is really surprising. Um, others closed for a day or two and tried to get open as quickly as possible. Um, and then um, Miami Herald gaming writer and our good Annie up friend Nick Sordo wrote a column that I thought was interesting. He, um, you know, he was debating, he and his family were debating whether to evacuate or not, and he wrote this whole column based on uh, approaching it from a poker perspective, you know, yeah. using odds. And, you know, if we stay here, what are the odds that something good and bad is going to happen versus the odds of a good or bad happening when we're leaving? And uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I it's it's you never think of poker as life or death, but you're dealing with life or death decisions with poker thinking. It's it brings it to a whole different reality. Um, but yeah, I read it. It was funny, you know, poker wife, poker life. You know, make sure everybody's happy in the family and stuff. You know, take a chance. And it really, it's kind of like a coin flip when you think about it, because they kept pushing the model west, but at some point they said it was going to make the turn, and so you got to weigh those things too. And uh, yeah, he's he's a good writer, Nick. He always comes up with a unique way to to come through with his gaming, gaming writing. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's another reminder of um, you know something that uh, Blasman mentioned to me years ago, and I I, I reiterate it so perfect. It's that poker players are really in the risk assessment business, right? Right. You know, everything we do is based on assessing risk. So while and then so the fact that we do that on a daily basis playing, then we apply that to real life. So that's why um, <clears throat> I think we're less likely to be panickers than other people. Um, and certainly when it came to the hurricane, I mean, <clears throat> people just freaking out and, and for good reason, but um, almost probably too much, I think, where I was a little bit more calm because, again, you're assessing the risk of it. You're like, all right, well, it could go here, it could go there. If it comes here, you know, we, we've stocked up on water and stuff, so we know what we're doing. So... Um, you know, using that risk assessment that you do in poker actually helps calm you down. I think in these situations a little bit, um, and you don't even think you're you don't even think of it as what you're doing, but that's what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I, not that I'm, um, piggybacking on his thing or anything, but when we were when it was just me and you with the magazine, and we were writing all the content for the magazine, I a couple of times had contemplating writing a column like that but not about a hurricane but whether but applying it to real life situations what you do in poker and i was going to do that and then nick did it with this one which was pretty serious but um i i had contemplating doing that because there's there's things that you do in life that you use your poker skills in life and i don't know if it really is what you're doing is using your life skills in poker it just seems like it's reflecting backwards but but um absolutely and uh i'm the same way as you too i was like all right look I'm being as prepared as I can. And when they kept saying, you know, you might have to evacuate, I'm like, where am I going to go? Oh. <laughs> I mean, seriously, all those people who are on the East Coast who came here got hit. And yeah. if I am if I go to the East, I still would have got hit. And if I go to the North, I would have been backed up in traffic. My car would have run out of gas by the time I got to Ocala. And then there would be no gas stations to get gas. And then I'd be stranded without any anything at all in Ocala. So I'm like, there's just nowhere to go. So I just said, the, the best thing to do is to stay pat. Like poker, yeah. stay pat, and that's what I did, and uh, I I didn't snow anybody, I didn't have to, I, but you know the house stood up, and I think we lost a shingle. That was it, and I can fix it. So, um, but it was an interesting column. You guys should check it out. <clears throat> yeah. So the other thing, again, so I think this is interesting. Uh, the approach that casinos took, um, 
because like I said, some, some were open throughout, which I didn't even know until afterwards, which was really, <laughs> really amazing. Um, other ones closed a little earlier than others. Um, and I think that's a difficult decision uh, for those folks. I mean, obviously they have employees that they need to think of, uh, but some of those employees are probably feeling safer being at work than at home, depending on what their situation is. Um, but you know, it, it, it it brings up this level of criticism of, hey, well, the casinos are open, <laughs> you know, in the middle of a national disaster. But uh, I think there's something to be said for people needing a release. I mean, I know certainly, you know, here four or five days after the storm now, some people still don't have power up here. Some just got it back on. And um, I, I think I would have been happy to know that I could have gone to and played poker when I didn't have air at home. It's <laughs> an air yeah, conditioning yeah, to yeah. take my mind off of it. But I know other people would, would, would think that's kind of crass, that um, either those places would be open um, or that people would want to go patronize them. So I, that's a really interesting dilemma, I think, um, casinos have during these kind of events. Yeah, because a lot of people will give you guff for, like, it'll say, all right, so you're just doing it for the business. You're so desperate for business that you're, you're letting people risk their lives to go out and play poker, you know, or whatever. And there's other people who are, like, are grateful. Like you said, they're like, hey, I need something to take my mind off it, and I'm safer in a huge casino than I am in my house. So it, it's, it's a crapshoot. Pardon the uh, the gaming one, but but I mean seriously, I mean there there are people who would would just give you crap for that. They'd be like, oh, you my, you just you have to stay open, right? You're so desperate for business, blah blah blah. And no, I mean the you know what it it's like the movie theaters and stuff. They stay open on on holidays because it's like, hey, you know you're gonna be bored after dinner. You know, there's nothing on TV. Why don't you come out and see a movie? Or and in this case, just happened to be a hurricane. But you know they'll they'll get some guff for that. But at the same time, they're providing a service, so let them. You know? Yeah, and, and obviously we we don't have um, a monopoly on national disasters down here. There's other things that can happen, tornadoes and blizzards and things like that. But for folks that have been fortunate that haven't ever gone through this, I don't think you really realize how um, how much you use power, how much you use Wi-Fi, yeah. how much you use your t- cable or satellite, um, or just being able to get in your car and go get a hot meal, you know, for three days after the storm i mean most of our businesses around here didn't have power either so they couldn't open which means they couldn't make food <laughs> and you're at home and you don't have any power so um it, it would have been nice to know that if i had to and, and, and get to a casino if they had any kind of hot food <laughs> that would be a godsend it's just amazing what you you think of at the time when you have absolutely nothing uh that anything is um amazing have, so. so tell the truth. How many how many times did you play like uh, a drinking game where every time you had to reach for a light switch, you had to drink a natty <laughs> light? <laughs> no, I, I think I, I joked on Facebook that I uh, power had been out for forty eight hours, and every single time I was in the closet, I flipped the switch on, but still, still managed to get fifteen hundred fifty six people to vote for me. <laughs> the commissioner who uh, didn't know the electricity wasn't off in his house. Nice job. But everybody let me know I wasn't the only one. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's turning on to, to other, I guess, disaster of some sort. Uh, man-made, this one, though. Um, although, argument that hurricanes are man-made too now. But, oh, jeez. Uh, uh, recently unsealed federal indictment alleges that an Eastern European organized crime gang burned down a rival gang's building because that gang had been stealing their poker players, Chris. Oh, man. Two teenagers not involved in the poker game became trapped in the upper floors of the building and had to be 
rescued by firefighters. So I guess not a lot of poker here, but it just made me think this is like a Teddy KGB kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or that other game that Worm was in and took all the money from them. That you could just, I could just see this happening, and then here it is in real life. It's actually happening. So Unreal. A little rounder's callback is what made me think of putting it on the show. <laughs> they burned down their building because they took some of their poker players. Unreal. Unbelievable. I tell you, man, you just you don't want to this is why you don't want to get involved with stuff like that. This is why you want to have everything to be in the United States and whoever's listening to us. You want your stuff to be to regulated. This is why you want to play poker in a casino. You know what I mean? Because this other stuff, hey, you, you get yourself in trouble just for playing in some other guy's underground game. Crazy. But you're right. I could just see it now. I could just see John Malkovic in his overdone accent saying something like, you take our players, I burn your house down. Now, it's possible that the other gang didn't steal the players. It's possible they just had a uh, $2,000 say that. Uh, and plenty of pants for people to change into when they. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there with that. I don't know why, but I knew as soon as you said they probably didn't steal them, I said, oh, he's going there. He's going there. <laughs> this segment brought to you by Depends. Uh, see, we can take an, a, a nasty story and find fun in it. That's <laughs> that's our skill. We have no other skills. That, that's oh, our skill. man. Any updates? We've added two more Annie Up Poker Cruises to our 2018 schedule including a summer sailing to Cuba. All passengers on all sailings get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by thepokerdepot.com, a one-month membership to advanced poker training, and a quick-reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more information, visit anniepcruises.com. It's going to be our cover story, too. Excellent. Uh, to our next uh, issue, so you'll be able to get all the details on there as well. Uh, and the schedule for the Annie Up NorCal Classic Annie Up Poker Tour Series at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento has been set. All the information for this 10-event series, October 16th to the 22nd, is available at com slash Thunder Valley. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast.anniepmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor, in hand of the week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Annie Up Poker Cruises, Available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. Comes from Philip. He says, I host a home game where we call it Penny Poker. All the chips are watered down by a tenth, making dollar chips count for ten cents when cashed out. This is a friendly, fun game, mostly meant for socializing and exclusively playing Hold'em. We play with blinds uh, at 50 cent chips and one dollar chips. However, lately we found our loose game been infected with an open blind calling stations, uh, with the open blind calling stations, where players will openly play without seeing their cards unless the betting gets outrageous, and even that doesn't always guarantee that they'll look. While I'll enjoy the social aspects of this game, I still like to play seriously and make money if possible. So I wonder what the right strategy to play this tactic is. If I have any ace hand, do I just play it aggressively? Do I just fold any time this dumb betting happens? Or do I give in to the bingo poker atmosphere and just go all in preflop with good hands and hope I don't donate to these lovable maniacs? Well, first of all, if you donate to these lovable maniacs, that's more money that they could give back to you later on. Yeah, so yeah. I, I would, I would consider it a loan and not a donation. Um, but that doesn't really help with the strategy here, I guess. No. But. Um, I mean, it's very similar to playing against maniacs in any game, isn't it? Although this is a little bit different because 
you know, they're not looking at their cards. But, um, it, it, you know, you, I think you gotta you got to get the right situation and, and the right cards. I don't think you want to wait for all premium hands, though, right? I think you need to take a, a shot every once in a while. You're not going to be playing at all. Well, or maybe the, that's the strategy. Maybe the you question I have is, are they maniacs? Because it sounds like they're just playing without looking at their cards. It doesn't sound like they're going crazy raising preflop and stuff. It, it sounds right. like they might just be there's still methods openly calling, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. so to yeah. me, if they were truly maniacs where they were raising crazy without looking at their cards, then I would just wait for a premium hand. But if they were just playing every hand, then I would try to see flops for as cheap as possible and then make my moves. Pre-flop moves are not, aren't necessary if these guys aren't betting crazy pre-flop. If they are playing crazy pre-flop, then I just wait for a good hand. It reminds me of the time we were playing at the One-Eyed Jacks in Sarasota, and I think I got knocked out of a tournament early and you were still playing, so I went and played cash. And we had a guy there, just got his paycheck, came in, and just kept shoving preflop without, without even looking at his cards. And we all watched him not look at his cards. So I wow. waited till I had a big ace, and I had like an ace jack or ace queen suited. I limped. He shoved. I called, and I doubled through him instantly. So if that's what's happening in your game, that's what I would do. I would wait. But if they were just playing every hand without looking, then for the most part, you know you're winning if you make a pair. These guys, the, the odds of them actually making a hand without looking at their hands at all are very rare. So... I would I would just see a flop uh, for as cheap yeah, as possible. Yeah, you're talking heads up at that point. I, you get I get the impression that you've got two or three people doing this each hand, so yeah. it gets a little bit more difficult to win when you're facing all those cards. Because even if you've got like seven deuce, you know those cards are probably live for that player. Um, but you know I think the other thing to focus on is that that this is a game, as he said, mostly meant for socializing. And he said uh, he does enjoy the social aspects of the game. I mean, this is not a serious game. It's never going to be a serious game. So you want to be um, less likely to try to make it a serious game. I think you just have to treat it for what it is. So um, I don't know, though, Scott. Do you agree with being social? I mean, it, I don't mind when we get together and we're all. When we're not in hands, we're all joking around, telling stories, asking like we're, you know, Mike's gone on vacation lately or stuff like that. But I mean, if you're going to get together just to BS and then, oh, by the way, we're playing poker, why not just get together and BS and then say, okay, well, now it's time for poker. Let's play poker. You know, you, can't you be social without having to play poker and risk money for no reason? I mean, why not just play poker to play poker and then go to a bar and socialize or put on the TV and watch a game and socialize. You know what I mean? It's, it seems weird to me that you have to get together and throw out, make everything one-tenth of a chip. How do you take it seriously? If you're there to be social, you're there to be serious. It's one or well, the other. But yeah, I think that's the point. Is I think, I think at least I, what I'm getting from this, is that the other players in the game are not as interested in, in taking it seriously as Philip is. So yeah. Philip is a spot that, that a lot of our listeners are. I mean, we get this question often that, they play in, you know, the typical home games that we've always known about where, you know, you, you play the follow the queen and all those weird stuff. And for all those players, it's just a night out and hanging out and having fun. They just happen to be doing it with cards rather than at a bar. Uh, <clears throat> um, but, you know, every once in a while, you know, I mean, one or two of them is trying to get better at the game and they're frustrated because this is not the game for them. And, you know, the advice there is, you know, you're going to have to, learn the game and do better at the game in other ways you know find find another game if you can or you know um get on advanced poker training and play around on that and, and make that your your education and then treat this as what it is which is just 
you know, putting your 20 bucks in for the night and, and having a good time with the guys. But with that being said, I think more of his question was, he, he, he is to how to, how to play in that to, to exploit this, even though I don't think he really said it that way. But, um, but yeah, I would say any ace, I'm, I'm probably going to jump into this pool. Um, any decent pair, um, and, you know, ace king, that kind of stuff. But, other than that, I'd stay away from it. I, I, I'm not going to get involved with this. as like pocket deuces, I don't think. Well, see, I as long as I I would follow what I said, as long as I know that I can get in for cheap, I'd probably play. I play a huge range of hands. I would <laughs> oh, play absolutely. any any it pair. Like can, so. Yeah, any suited connector, anything, any ace. That's whatever. But the minute that they're starting to do, because he's talking about open blind calling stations, that's fine with me. Because if I pick up a big hand, and I'm raising. They're going to call. Go ahead, call. Right, right. Because your random hand is not going to beat my pocket kings. That's actually not. right. It's probably the best strategy there is when you're in position and you've got a good hand, go ahead and bet big. Don't don't hold back because you know these people are either going to call that big bet or they're going to raise it anyhow and make them make the mistake. It's a little different when they're acting first and then you've got to come back around and, and decide whether you want to call off a big stack um, to some guy that didn't even look at his cards and you've got, like say, something like Jack-10 or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because any random paint now beats you that's higher than the jack, and you put all your money in on nothing. But that's what I would do. I would try to see flops for cheap, play a wide range of hands. If you connect, then go crazy because they're obviously random hands. And then uh, if you got big hands, then raise because you know they're going to call you. And if they're the ones that are betting without even looking at their cards, betting, then I would wait for a hand and then just get it in with them because that's how I made all my money against that idiot. So. <laughs> Okay, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling been? Uh, email us at podcast at andyatmagazine.com and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. Comes from Andy Menson. In a multi-table tournament in a local card room, this hand happened. I have ace-queen of clubs and bet 450 on a flop of six of clubs, king of diamonds, eight of clubs. My opponent raises to 1,000. My initial bet of 450 was four black chips and one green chip. I picked up a yellow 1,000 chip and said call. I was in the process of moving my yellow chip onto the felt to swap it out and grab my original 450 back. As this was happening, the dealer was involved in a conversation with the player to her right. Before I was able to drop my 1,000 chip and swap it out for my original bet, the dealer flipped over the turn card, revealing the five of clubs, completing my nut flush. She instantly realized I had not yet called a raise and said, whoops, I told her it was fine that I had already verbalized my call and was in the process of matching the raise and that my opponents had seen and heard this. The dealer informs me that if a card is turned over before all chips are on the felt and in the pot, then that card must be shuffled back into the deck. This infuriated me. I tried to plead my case that the players heard the call and that I was making motions to complete it. The dealer yells over to the tournament manager and gave him the situation as she saw it, and he confirmed that the card should be shuffled back into the deck and a new turn card should be produced. I was enraged, but did not show it because I could still win the hand. The turn came to Queen of Diamonds. I check, my opponent checks. River produced a seven of spades. Action goes check, check. I turn over my pair of queens to see the villain's two pair. The villain later told me he checked the board down out of respect for a hand that was mishand uh, mishandled. Uh, I could have gotten a lot of chips from my opponent with that nut flush over his top two pair, but because of the mistake of the dealer... Uh, he, fe- he felt I got shafted. Any thoughts? You got shafted. 
Yeah, you got shafted, buddy. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. this is the when uh, you know, I like uh, I like a social dealer when I'm playing. That's why I like to play live because you know it's it's fun. But you have to take the good with the bad. And the bad is when you have a social dealer. Sometimes they're not paying attention and they make mistakes that end up hurting us. Sometimes they make mistakes that help us. This was a case that made a mistake that hurt hurt you. Um, it is an interesting rule. Um, I, I guess there's a reason for it. Um, I, I don't think this. In this case, it was probably applied for whatever their reasoning is, because he clearly said call, and he just hadn't got finished, you know, exchanging the chips around. So there didn't seem like there's any confusion to anyone. Um, so I think it's unfortunate that they they're very strict in the application of this rule, which I don't believe most rooms have. Um, <clears throat> all that being said, the concern now is if you get too upset and argue too much, which it sounded like you did, now you've pretty much exposed your hand, haven't you? Yeah. Now you've made people think that you really want that card. And if you really want that card, now if I see somebody ranting and raving at their side of the table because we're taking that card away, that's information that I didn't have before. So now I'm going to look at this board and and figure out um, you know, what, uh, what they might have here. So, you know, that five could mean that you had a 7-9 for a straight, or it could mean you had two clubs for a flush. Nothing else really makes sense, I think, at that point. So, And either of those hands are really good. <laughs> so um, now I know I can really narrow your hand down on the next one. So you want to be careful not to give that information to your opponent. So what I suggested is, you know, obviously steam on the inside during it, finish out the hand, hopefully you win, and then afterwards have your public steam about the rule and how it cost her money and did it need to be applied here and all that. But doing it in the middle of the hand, I think just exposes your hand too much. So, you know, don't, don't make a bad situation worse. Here's why a lot of those large companies make potential employees take those criteria, cognitive aptitude tests, mm. because you need to have logic when you're making rules Let's let's look at logic here in this rule that is applied to this casino or lo- local card room. If I say call, is it a call? Because if you're telling me right now it's not a call unless I put my chips out. That's what you're telling me. That if my chips aren't out on the felt, I didn't actually make a call. If I've made the call and the call is made and you've turned the card, that's the correct procedure. The card is turned. If you're telling me that my chips have to be out there, then verbal isn't binding. And if verbal isn't binding, then you've just opened up a whole can of worms. I just said call. If you didn't turn that card, would I be uh, required to put the chips out because I said call? Of course I would be. So my call is good. My pot is right. That turn card needs to stay. They are not using logic. Every floor person in a casino needs to use logic and should take these aptitude tests to make sure they have logic. If they don't make sense, then they can't set the rules. This is not fair to Andy. The fact that he said call and everyone knows he said call, and even the dealer apparently knew he said call, that's enough. If you make a rule that the chips have to be on the felt by the betting line or some bull like that, then you are canceling out the verbal part of the binding. Scott and I, when we teach our poker one-on-one and stuff, we always say, make sure you say what you want to do so it's clear. Now he's doing that, 
And now they're saying it's not clear because the chips weren't in front. That is illogical, and it doesn't make sense when you put the shoe on the other foot. If you're telling me in the middle of a turn, if I say call and I'll put my chips out, now I can, well, I can take, change my mind? No, you can't change your mind. You said call. So if I can't change my mind, why does that card have to go back in the deck? Terrible, terrible ruling. Terrible. Terrible ruling. Yeah, you're right. Terrible rule, too. And by the way, you sounded like Otter from Animal House there. It was really impressive. Thanks. That's what I was going for. Indictment of the United States of America. <laughs> hey, so uh, we have an interesting uh, situation here with O'Malley's move. We, we wrapped it up last week, but we didn't talk about it. Uh, we had a little, maybe a little bigger discussion planned for it. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, play the final episode of O'Malley's move to remind you what happened. And then we'll be right back on the other side. Hello once again. This seems like a squeeze play to me. I really think we might have the best hand here. There are 13 and a half big blinds in the pot, and we have 12 in our stack. If we shove here, the re-raiser is going to have to call 9 more. And that's where we made our mistake. We have very little fold equity here. Our opponent thinks for a while before calling and tabling 8s. We don't improve and are out. 10 short of the money. Well, at least we were free rolling. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying be mindful of tournaments that play more like bingo games in the later rounds. Adjust your play accordingly. Do you think I did? I hope to see you on the felt. All right, I think really, I, I think the lesson we took out of the, this whole ride-along, which, by the way, I thought was really cool yeah. um, when we put it together. I mean, obviously, it's a little different than what we normally did. Um, but, but at every stage late in the tournament... O'Malley wasn't shoving when he needed to be shoving. So, you know, the old rule was 10 big blinds. Um, I'm a big fan of the 15 big blinds now for my game. Uh, but certainly somewhere in that range, if that's what you have, you're, you're not limping, you're not calling raises, you're shoving or folding. That's it. And it just seemed like O'Malley didn't do that and got himself in bigger, uh, worse situations than he needed to. Um, and you know, he, so he mentioned not having enough fold equity on this last hand, and uh, that's the exact reason that you need to start shoving at 15 big blinds when you do have fold equity. Exactly. And it's not that there's actual rules in place for poker, but these are the understood rules of when you talk about in the game that we're playing right now, the most effective way to handle your stack is to shove, like Scott said, at 10 or 20 or 15 to 20 blinds. Um, and that 10, they feel like these days, because of these big stack tournaments and all that stuff, that 10 is really not as effective as it used to be. And the fact that he waited so long is that he didn't have enough to scare anybody out to pick up the blinds or, or whatever. Or, you know, I mean, he, he can get called by a random hand at that point. You need enough money to make them cringe to make that call with a questionable hand. You know, if you get called by pocket aces, there's nothing you can do about it. You could have a million big blinds you're getting called. But, you know, the fact that you, you only had eights, you need those people to cringe to want to call the bet you make with that. And he right. didn't have enough. It's a bigger lesson there. And you're right. Yeah. It progressively throughout the the, hand, the the ride-along was like that. It felt like he needed the shove, and he didn't. He got away with it once. And he needed the shove, and then and then the workout. And um, you're right. There's, when they talk about the effective stack at the table, you know what I mean? That's, that's not the same thing. But effectively, your ta- your stack wasn't effective enough at that size, you know, right. you really need to, to make it bigger before you're, you're pushing it in. Um, and I understand it's, it's painful. Sometimes you're doing it with far inferior hands and you keep thinking, if I just wait one more hand, I might get a better hand. And then you see do seven and you're in the blinds and now you have no money left. And it's just, 
it's very frustrating sometimes. That's why they do it so early. That's why they probably do it at 15, because at that point, you know, if they have to do it at 12 blinds because they had to, you know, go one more round or whatever to find a hand, it's not as bad. But if you start doing it at 10, then you're down to eight or six blinds, all of a sudden everybody and, and their their nephews are calling you, you know, so. And that's yeah. one of the reasons I like the 15 uh, big blind marker now is because really what you're trying to do is get yourself in the frame of mind that right now from here on out, I've got two decisions all yeah. in a fold. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so you might be at 15 big blinds, you might be a little pickier with that hand that you think you want to play. So, you know, you have to shove, but you don't feel comfortable with it and you have that luxury now. But once you get down to 10, you don't have that luxury anymore. So if anything, it just gets you in the right frame of mind. So even if you're not shoving the, the range that you need to be shoving at 15, at least you're thinking about it now and you know when it gets to 10, then you got to do it. Uh, but hopefully you're you're still comfortable at 15 doing it and, and picking up lines. So. Right. Well, anyway, thanks for doing the tournament ride-along. That was very exciting, and he'll be back with his regular episode next week. Oh, maybe not, though, right? Oh, you're going on the cruise, right? Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, we should mention it. We yeah. mention it. It's a good, uh, good misplaced segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I will be aboard the cruise next week. Chris will not. Uh, right now, our plan is to do a little interview with Elliot Schechter, our great call to floor folk. He's going to be um, uh, dealing for us next week. So we'll do an abbreviated cruise show with that and be posted. Um, it might actually get posted on a regular schedule depending on the availability. Email, Bye, yeah. Right. Uh, but if not, it might be a little late. And then uh, we'll bring O'Malley back and the whole show uh, the following week. Very good. But before we do that, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Our good friend Dave Bloomberg's back. And you know he's back because Survivor's starting soon. I know. Um, I was just thinking that. I'm like, he's always, he always comes on the show when we have uh, the start of uh, some reality TV. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I'm hoping my satellite's back in time for that. No, I don't. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Uh, all right, so he says he's in a one-two uh, no-limit game, and he says a player who, with players whose tendencies I know pretty well. I bought in for two hundred hours and had been hovering between even and a hundred up throughout the evening. The game has been going for about five hours at this point, and I have about three twenty or so in front of me. The button straddles to five. There's a limper, and it gets to me with two red nines. I hate nine nine. I really do. I really hate nine nine. But I love nine nine nine. So <laughs> I so do. I ask dealer to put the flop out before I make my decision, and if there's nine, then yeah. <laughs> um, I really hate it. Uh, but they don't know I have nine nine. Uh, so I do have a made hand, and I have a straddler who's got dead money in the middle, and I don't know how that straddler acts. That's the other thing. Sometimes. You know, if you knew the straddler was going to raise just because that's what he does, I might call him and let him raise and then re-raise him and take that money, you know, because I know he's doing it with just any ace or any card. Or... It depends yeah. on how the straddler plays, really. Um, so it's very it's going to be a very difficult hand because I don't know what that person would have done had I just called. So normally when I have 9-9, nine, nine, I'm going to raise with it because they don't know I have 9-9, nine, nine, and it's a raising hand. It's better than all other hands that aren't paired, uh, and... I'm just I'm gonna play it. So I would raise it. I would make it whatever the standard raises, plus maybe a few more bucks because there's a straddler for five. So I don't know, fifteen, twenty, something like that, maybe. Just because that's probably what you do in a one-two game. You probably make it twelve or 
10 or 12 and then if you got a five dollar and they make it 17 so i don't know something like that 18 to 20 yeah exactly yeah i, I think i agree if, it, if it's a straddle or it's not a razor then then um and set mining here if he is a razor that i've got a, a hand that's better than his range so if i can get him to commit more money and take that money i'm fine going to war uh with my nines here so um all right so hero says my usual bet in this game is 11 or 12 when there's no straddle Others raise from 8 to 15. As I raise to 17, and the button calls while the limper folds. I'm trying to remember how widely this player defends his button, but then I realize I just don't recall. I know he usually just checks his option if it limps around to him, and he's not a hyper-aggressive player. He's also been recently on a break and undoubtedly was using that break to smoke something that made him calmer and happier. <laughs> and he had a couple strong drinks as well. He has recovered, though he has bought in a couple times. Uh, flop is Jack75 Rainbow, and it's on us. Well, I'm definitely going to continue, bet. this is a decent flop for us. Yes. I'm not saying this guy doesn't have a jack, but two wonders, it's Rainbow, so we're not really worried about straights and flushes really on the turn. I mean, yeah, he could have called with six eight or something, six four or whatever, nine ten. He could have a jack in his hand, but we're not. We got to find out, and I don't see any reason to check. We're not trying to control the size of the pot here. We're trying to make money and take it down now. So if we made it seventeen, it's thirty four in the pot plus maybe whatever is left over. So maybe thirty four, thirty five in the pot. I'd probably bet twenty, twenty five. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I like to flop. Um, you know, the jack obviously it's an over, but you know. We got only one over there, and then we've got a couple of weird combinations for runner runner straights here too. Um, that could help us out if we need it. But yeah, but yeah, definitely gonna keep the pressure on. So, all right, our hero uh, continuation bet twenty two because the odds are that he didn't hit the jack, and I don't see any real draws to worry about. I figure if he missed, he'll fold. If he hit, I'll find out soon enough. He seems like he's going to fold, but then makes the call. Hmm, weird. Not sure what that was all about. Maybe he's on a straight draw. 6-8 is a well-loved hand around these parts. They call it Springfield Aces. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the turn is another jack of the fourth suit, so no flush draws are possible. And again, we are first to act. I, I just I like that card. It just decreases the odds he has a jack. Not that I'm saying he doesn't, because it's hand of the week. But if I'm playing and I was, wasn't afraid to bet the first jack, I'm not afraid to bet this one either. So there's, what, 44 and 35, so we're at 79. So, I don't know. I'd probably bet 40, 35, 40, somewhere around there. Yeah, I might go a little bit more here because here's the thing is, obviously, as a jack, we're, we're screwed up. But it seems unlikely, or less likely, I should say. Um, so, and it sounds like we're, we're worried about a straight here or something like that. Well, if it's a straight, the jack doesn't help them. So let's really make them pay They hit that last card now. Um, and make it make him make a mistake. So, um, of course, I guess by betting fifty instead of forty, you're putting ten more dollars at risk in case he does have a jack. But I think that's a small price to pay to for what we think is going to happen here. Because if he has, if he get raised here, I mean, what are we going to do? You know, we're yeah. probably going to right. right. So, um, I would rather take the ten dollar chance and, and bumping up the bet a little bit more to to make him make a mistake on a call than I would. Um, you know, sacrificing that ten if he gets if he raises us. So, all right. Uh, here it says I'm pretty now. Pretty sure he doesn't have a jack, which means I likely have the best hand. I bet thirty three. I love that. He's like doing my online betting. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, he probably bets it with uh, all white chips too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he calls quicker than before. Okay, maybe I'm not so certain he doesn't have a jack after all. Then I hit the beautiful nine on the river. Bingo. So the final board, jack, seven, five, jack, nine. And we are first to act. Well, the only hand we're trailing now is is, is, a, is a jack and then one of the other cards paired, like jack, seven, five, or nine. So the odds are just not with us. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine why his hand of the week unless we're losing. So that's terrible. But I'm not thinking of that way. I'm thinking of how I'd play it. So that was another 66 into the pot. So we got. I'd, I'd bet like 80 or 90. I want to get paid off. Maybe 70. <clears throat> you know, I know there's like 140 in the pot or whatever. But I'd, I'd want to. I want to get paid off. So maybe I put 50 out there. You know, see what happens. That way, if he raises me, it's, and he does have one of those weird hands, maybe he only min raises me, and I get to bet 100, which is what I would have maybe bet anyway on the end. So maybe I just yeah, bet 50. Yeah. No, I like that. That sounds good. Um, all right, Harris says I bet fifty five. He surprises me by making it a hundred and fifty five. Huh? Yeah. Well, I'm confused. Does he have ace jack and think I'm full of crap? Does he indeed have Springfield aces and now he thinks his straight is golden? I guess he could have Jack seven or Jack five, but calling my pre flop raise. Yeah, the only the only hand that beats us really is a jack and one of those random cards pairing with it. So if he has the straight I'm not folding, but I'm not shoving either. I'm just going to call. I'm happy yeah. with calling. Yep, excellent. Absolutely. Um, all right, our hero says, I have about 50 more than his bet. I decided he has one of the, the hands I can beat, and I shove. He snap. Uh, oh, I figure, I decide he has one of the hands I can beat, and I shove. He snap calls and turns over jack seven. Ugh. Oh, man. Up to pair and was play acting the whole time. It was really bad acting, too, but I just chalked it up to other substances. Wow. Ouch. That's tough, especially because you raised preflop, and he still came along. And he was the straddler, right, the button straddler? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, the 17 was probably roughly what we said, right? We were saying between, like, 18 and 20, so it was close. I don't think if you bet 20, he's folding. I think he's still calling. I think, you know, the only thing is he could have slowed down maybe after he called that flop. But the jack just made it harder. It made it seem like he doesn't have it. But he called quicker. You said that. so, And it was more amount. And he still called, and he called it quicker. So that could have been the first sign. But at the same time, you make nines full. You're hoping he has a jack there because you don't think he's playing jack seven, jack five, jack nine. You know, the right. case nine. So um, let's just chalk it up to bad luck. You know, I, I mean, I, I guess you could have looked more carefully at his acting. But at the same time, you, you were surmising that he, you know, was – on some sort of substance, so you don't know what is legit. <laughs> so that's terrible. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, I think the real mistake here was the uh, the shove on the end because we were, you know we talked about how you know just on the off chance that he had one of those hands, let's save the money. It's still a good pot, right? Yeah. Um. So that was fifty more than we needed to waste on this uh, lose on this hand. Uh, I should say waste. It was a good bet. Just happened to be. Um, a bad opponent, but um, I, we would have saved fifty that way, and I don't think it was worth the risk. But do you think there is a risk to check there? Like, if he doesn't well, have yeah, a hand, I say before is that I, I I think it was a risk because if he didn't have a hand, you know, you know, a savvy player would know they couldn't win unless you bet. So that gives you the chance to check raise at that point. Or call, but, right? Check call. Yeah, um, but but I think there's also enough 
a number of players out there, and this one obviously seems like he's been on substances <laughs> <laughs> that that you know know they can't win without betting, but can't pull the trigger on betting, right? So right. they just let go. Um, so I mean, I guess if that's the situation and you bet, you're not going to get any money anyhow. So maybe there's an argument to check and you know let him set the price on what what you're going to pay here but that's again it's really hard to put him on jack seven or jack five here i mean i really thought that we had the best hand here and not only did we have the best hand but that that card made other hands callable um or raising hands for the hope so um i i i think it would have been a mistake to check yeah I, well the only thing is that it, it was like a perfect storm of of possible hands so like, in other words if if you check because it looks like you're afraid that that Springfield Aces got there, you know what I mean? That's you could be pretending like you have you have queens here, and now right. you're nervous because you think he might have that jack because he called your bet on the turn. Now you pretend to be like concerned. You check, and now he's like, if he doesn't have a hand, he's going to try to steal it, and you're you're winning the bluff. If he does have a hand, he has like a straight. You still win, but if he has a bigger boat, you save money. So maybe you just check call there. If you thought about it long enough, like that straight could get there, that six eight gets there, that eight ten gets there, you know, does he call a raise with it? Well, like you said, he's on the substances, and maybe you know, and it was a straddler, and straddlers only have to give up that five bucks. So maybe you know, maybe he does get there with six eight, and that's another reason to check because you're nervous. Then he's gonna bluff at it to make it look like he, you know, what I mean. So there's a lot of reasons to check call too. Um, I think this just this is just unfortunate. It was just bad luck on on your part. Um, yeah, you really hope absolutely. the nine doesn't get there on the end now after all this, and then you just if he bets big, then you you can fold easily, and you only lost the initial fifty bucks you bet or whatever. But anyway, that was tough. You know what? To cheer you up though. You know, survivors right around the corner. So <laughs> <laughs> hope everyone's safe and okay. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.